Pay attention, son. This is for your own good. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. You got to get it done. Young Cinderella coming out of nowhere. He's got about 350 yards. Up. He's going to get about 500. Don't you think? He's got a beautiful catch. Oh, he got all of that one. Hello, sports fans. I'm glad to have you here today. It's a great view up here on the bleachers and lots of sports news to talk about. So grab a brat, get a drink from the cooler, toss down your favorite seat cushion. Let's talk some sports! Holy cow! Romo looking, dumps it off right side, intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? To infinity and beyond. Hey, welcome back. This week is been crazy. <laughs> uh, the last week or ten days actually been crazy, but. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers, and I am your host, Don Glenn, and we got a lot of stuff to try and cover today. Talking Sports on the Bleachers is a proud part of the Gateway City Sports Network, where you can find news and information about almost anything sports-related to the St. Louis Bi-State area. We have a team of writers and contributors to do their best to bring you the sports news of the day. Also, check out our other podcasts like the Team of Rivals with Ron Nuttle, Pete Geddes, Elliot Dewey, the Two for Three with the Moose Mike Stevenson, Yacker Jacks with Brian Papa Swope, and the Cards with the A-Train Arlington Lane, the XFL STL Football Show, and the ever-popular Derek King Sports Show. Actually, it should be called the Derrick King Sports Extravaganza, but, you know, he doesn't like to talk, draw attention to himself. Anyway, uh, I had intended to have Deion Thomas on today to talk Illinois basketball. However, due to connection issues, I just we couldn't get it, <laughs> get it together this uh, last week. So, uh, I will be working with, to get him on in the near future. But we still have a lot of sports to talk about today, and let's start with some baseball. The Philadelphia Phillies parted ways with manager Joe Girardi. Uh, the Phillies were mired in the team's worst start in 15 years at 22 and 29, and losers in 12 of the last 17 games they've been played. Uh, they were in third place in the East. The Phillies also let go of coaching assistant Bobby Meacham. Bench coach Rob Thompson has been promoted to interim manager. Now, an interesting note, since they fired Girardi, they've won six straight, or they won six straight. Uh, Girardi was hired in for the 2020 season, and in that time, the Phillies have gone 132 and 141. Now, this season, the fairly, Phillies were fairly busy picking up Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, Corey Neville, Brian, uh, Brad Hand, and Yaris Felimilia. So, many expected, uh, actually, a, a pretty much a better outcome. They expected the Phillies to be very competitive, if not be tops in the division. Yeah, and it's understandable when you've already got a lineup, when you bring those guys 
into a lineup that you already have Bryce Harper, Juan Segura, Didi Gregorius, JT Relimuto. Uh You also have a rotation of Zach Wheeler, Aaron, Noda, Aaron Nola, and Kyle Gibson. So, you know, you look at that and you just have to say that Girardi wasn't getting the job done. Now, Girardi's managerial record, uh, he was with the Florida Marlins in 2006, the Yankees from 2008 to 2017, and again, this is a recent stint with the Phillies. He's uh, 1,120 to 935, uh, which is a 535 winning percentage. He was manager of the year in 2006 with the Marlins. He won a World Series with the Yankees in 2009. As a player, he played 14 seasons with the Cubs, Rockies, Yankees, and Cardinals. He won three World Series as a player with the Yankees. Now, Girardi was not the only manager to lose his job as the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim told Joe Madden, Farewell and vaya con Dios. Uh, the Angels, uh, he's been with the Angels since uh, 2020. His career record is 1,382 to 1,216 for a 532 winning percentage. Now, the firing came as the Angels uh, hit a, had hit a 12-game skid. The Angels started 21-11, but since then have gone 6-18. and 18. Uh, The Halos are nine games out of first place uh, behind Houston in the West, and a game and a half out of the third-place wildcard spot occupied by Boston. Now, unlike Philadelphia, the Angels are missing a couple of bats, uh, namely Anthony Rondon and Tyler Ward. Uh, so that may have some uh, something to play in the the, the recent uh, issues they've been having, uh, but uh, probably not all of it. Uh, Madden, now who led the... Uh, uh, Tampa Bay Rays to their first ever American League pennant in 2008, brought a World Series to Wrigley Field for the first time in 108 years in 2016, has yet failed to make the playoffs with Anaheim. Uh, Madden is 130 and 148 in this stint with the Halos because he actually managed them on interim basis twice. He, he was uh, in 1996. He was eight and 14 in 22 games. And in 1999, he was 19-10 and 10 in 29 games. So if you look at his complete managerial record for the Angels, it's 157 and 172. Still not really that good. Uh, third base coach Phil Nevin will serve as the interim manager for Anaheim. Baseball, Major League Baseball's All-Star Game is set for July 19th, and the ballot was released. And for Cardinal fans, there's a couple of wrinkles that you might not be aware of, and that is uh, Nolan Gorman is listed as the Redbirds' second baseman, and Tommy Edmond is listed as the shortstop. I think this actually is going to give you an idea of what's going to happen here down the road. Um... I mean, if you look at it very seriously, you send Paul DeYoung down, and I'll talk about the Cardinals a little bit later, but you send Paul DeYoung down, you bring up Nolan Gorman, he's going to play. He's going to play somewhere. He's going to play second base, uh, moving Tommy Edmond to short. If that was not the plan, and I'm going to be serious, if that was not the plan, you would not see Tommy Edmond as the shortstop representative for the Cardinals, or Gorman as the second base representative for the Cardinals. You would see Tommy Edmond as second base, and shortstop would probably have been moved to, say, uh, Edmundo Sosa. Uh, as the, but, the, but this is who the team put forward, is that who's going to be their, rep, their uh, representative at that position? So we'll see how they fare in the voting. I don't vi envision Gorman, even though he's playing well, hitting well, I don't envision Gorman to be the uh, National League second baseman, uh, at least by the fan vote. Uh, Tommy Edmond, I do think, will probably get uh, consideration as a reserve if he doesn't win the shortstop job. Uh, also of note, Albert Pujols is listed as the team's designated hitter. And as I said, we'll circle back to the Cardinals a little bit later. Okay, uh, since we're talking about baseball, I can't get through baseball without throwing my latest rant against Rob Manfred. Okay, is anyone else fed up with the ghost runner on second base and next rings? I mean, come on, people. This is what we did in the backyard playing wiffle ball when you only had two or three, or when you only had like three or four players on each side. You had a ghost runner. Uh, 
Why? Why are we putting a runner on second base? This is it, it's also international softball rules. I mean, this is not softball. And Manfred is being nothing more than a village idiot, thinking that this is going to help the game somehow. And then now he's experimenting the rule in the minor leagues that the that the pitcher can only throw two times to first base to keep a runner close. Really, you really think that that the length of games is tied to how many throws over to first base? I mean, why don't you limit the... And now you're going to talk about a pitch clock? Why not a batter's clock? Keep the God-blessed batter in the batter's box. I don't know how many times I've seen... And I'll tell you one guy on the Cardinals that's a very... That infuriates me about it is Harrison Bader. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Bader. Best center fielder we've had a long time. But... He stands in the box, takes a pitch, steps out, adjust, without even swinging, steps out, has to adjust his gloves, adjust his helmet, flips his bat, knocks his spikes, get back in the box. Why? Tell me why. And he's not the only player. I'm not picking just on Harrison. He's the only. He's not the only player that does it. A lot of players do it, but he's the one I notice from the Cardinals who does it. If you're going to do something, you know, tell the batter to let's get ready and play ball. Yeah, you know, this whole rule uh, kick that Ma that uh, uh, Manfred is on the three batter minimum, the pitch clock. Now they're going to talk about banning the shift next year. That it's going to be one, uh, have to have uh, at least two players on each side of second base and have to have one foot on the infield. That's bullcrap. And Manfred, you're an idiot. You are a god blessed idiot. You've done nothing but bastardize the American game. Not to mention the complete contradictory of these so-called the contradictory nature, pardon me, of these so-called innovations. You want to shorten games, but you're making rules to generate more offense. Hey, here's a damn clue, you fool. If you generate more offense, you're going to have longer games. What part of that did you not understand? <coughs> Sorry about that, folks. And I've said before, I want to talk to this guy. I want to. T I want Manfred on this show, and I'm going to do my best to try it. Now, I, I probably have about a 10% chance of even getting a message to Rob Manfred, but I'm going to do my best to infiltrate, or not infiltrate. But that's the wrong word. But but uh, uh, initiate enough contact with Major League Baseball that they're going to have to give me somebody to talk to because all these rules are nothing but pure bull. And the sooner I, I hate what's going on in baseball, I really, really do, and I, it's all because of Rob Manfred and his desire to leave his mark on the game. The Major League Baseball has never been about what mark the commissioner left on the game, but it's the teams and the players. Manfred, get that through your head. Baseball is bigger than you. Okay, my rant's over. I feel a little better. So we'll move on. NCAA baseball playoffs are underway. The Super Regionals were just finished up this weekend. The teams advancing, the uh, excuse me, the eight teams advancing out of the Super Regional are Notre Dame, Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Stanford, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Auburn. College World, Ser College World Series opener starts fr Friday, June 17th, and the World Series finals are set for June 25th. The Women's College World Series is over, and the Oklahoma Lady Sooners, for the second year in a row, are the queens of college softball. They beat the Texas Lady Longhorns 16-1 on Wednesday and 10-5 on Thursday to take the three-game set in two games. Second, uh, Two-time USA Collegiate Player of the Year, Jocelyn Allo, was named Most Outstanding Player, hitting 556 for the series with nine home runs in ten games and set a record with 12 runs scored. The Sooners are 59-3 over the year, and this is the sixth overall national championship and fifth World Series in the past nine, nine years. Uh, Sooner pitcher and NFCA Freshman of the Year, Jordy Ball, 22-1, gave up two runs on four hits in four innings. She was uh, matched up against Estelle Shez, or Sheck, who shut out the Sooners for three innings before having trouble in the fourth and fifth. 
Now, many experts didn't give Texas in the World Series, or didn't have Texas in the World Series, but they fought their way through the tournament to make it. So, congrats to the uh, Lady uh, Sooners uh, and the Lady Longhorns for making it there, and uh, we'll see what happens next year. And I, you know, I, I do the, I reported this mostly for my daughter. Uh, and I might have to have her on one of these days to talk some college softball. It'd be fun to have a, a daddy-daughter moment on on uh, on the podcast. We'll we'll see if we can get that done this summer here. Uh, now I don't do much on the NBA, but the NBA playoffs are underway, and the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors are squaring off in the NBA Finals. The Celtics have a two-game-to-one lead after winning uh, games one and three. The uh, Celtics won game one, one twenty to one oh eight. And in Game 1, Al Horford, Horford more than doubled his season average by dropping 26 points on Golden State, including six three-pointers. Jalen Brown added 24, Mark of start, Smart 18 more, as Jason Tatum was held to 12 points. But he dished out 13 assists, off, and off the bench, Derek White scored 21, Peyton Pritchard 8 points and 6 rebounds. They were down 15 at one point late in the third quarter, but the Celtics wrote a 40-16 fourth quarter to blow past Golden State. Steph Curry tossed in 34 for the Warriors. Klay Thompson was held below his season average at just 15 points. Andrew Wiggins put up 20, and Dream Ryan Green only scored 4 points, but had a game-high 11 rebounds. In Game 2, the Warriors came back to even it up at one apiece. Steph Curry was, well, Steph Curry, tossed in 29 points, grabbed 6 boards, dished out 4 assists, 4 other players in double figures, including Jordan Poole, who tossed in 17, come on off the bench. Jason Tatum led the Celtics with 28 points, and Jalen Brown added 17, but Al Holford and Marcus Spart, who combined for 30 points in Game 1, managed only 4. In Game 3 at the Boston's TD Garden, before the game started during warmest, the Warrior players players noticed that something was off with their basket. Facility management crew came out and found that the Warriors' basket was indeed two inches too high. They adjusted the basket to the correct height, and the game went on as scheduled. Uh, they probably should have left the basket at that height because uh, the Celtics took down the Warriors in Game 3. Uh, Jalen Brown, John, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart all combined for 77 points and 22 rebounds. Al Horford and Robert Williams III combined for another 19 points and 18 rebounds. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins did their best to answer with 74 points, but it wasn't enough. Game 4, behind 43 points from Steph Curry, Golden State bested Boston. Uh, 107-97. to I, I did say earlier I made a mistake. I said it was uh, three games to one. It's actually two games even. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, uh, evened up at two games apiece. Curry also averaged 10, 10 rebounds, dished out four assists, leading the visitor, visiting Warriors. Uh, Curry seemed to, seemed to show little affection with foot injury sustained in game three. Andrew Wiggins also had a double-double with 17 points and 16 rebounds. Klay Thompson added 18 points, and Jordan Poole added 14 off the bench. Jason Tatum had his own double-double, 23 points, 11 boards, and also led the Celtics in assists for the game with six. Jalen Brown added 21 points, and Marcus Smart had 18 points as well. Derek White came off the bench and added 16. Uh, the uh, f uh, Game 5 is going on as we speak, or actually Game 5 has is, yeah, with about 8 minutes to go at this point in time. Game 5, the Warriors are ahead by 9, 85, 76, and, and this, is, this is being played at the TD Garden. So we'll see how that shapes up down the road. If I get a final on that before the show is over, I'll pass that along. Uh, in NASCAR, the Enjoy Illinois 300 this week at Worldwide Technology Raceway in Madison, Illinois, just outside of St. Louis. One of the two new races this year in NASCAR. Chase Briscoe won the inaugural event at this pole, but would be Joey Logano who would emerge victorious over Kyle Busch in the overtime in an overtime win. Uh, Kevin Harvick's crash in turn three with four laps to go would force the overtime. Kyle Busch was the race leader. On the restart, Busch took the outside while Logano took the inside. Lined up behind the two front runners were Kyle's brother Kurt behind him and Logano's teammate Ryan Blaney behind him. 
Blaine Lee gave Logano a nudge. Logano would overtake Bush and hold on for the OT win. Top five finishers were Logano, Kyle Bush, Kurt Bush, Ryan Blaney, and Eric Alamarola. Ross Chastain finished eighth place despite being the primary factor in three separate accidents. Speaking of the aforementioned uh, Chastain, he is the subject of a NASCAR looking into driver feuds. In Sunday's race, Chastain sent Denny Hamlin into the wall, for which later Hamlin would continue to block and crowd Chastain throughout the rest of the race. Also, Chase Elliott came back in what appeared to be a retaliatory shove after contact by Chastain sent Elliott into a spin. Senior Vice President Scott Miller said on Sirius XM NASCAR that they, Hamlin and Elliott, tried to make life miserable for Ross. We all witnessed that, but at least we didn't see blatant takeout or anything like that. Miller said it was obvious from Ross's post-race comments that he made some mistakes out there and wants to make it right. But it's kind of up to those guys, those guys to sort it out and how it moves forward from there. You know, I bet racing can get stressful, but... Fifth Street Motors thinks buying a car shouldn't be. Fifth Street Motors, located in Pacific, Missouri at 2044 Rose Lane, will find you the right vehicle no matter what brand. Fifth Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. So give Brandon or Donna a call today at 573-259-1306 and tell them Gateway City Sports sent you. Okay, final just in. Breaking news. <laughs> uh, the Golden State Warriors just defeated the Celtics 104-94, so they now take a three-game-to-two lead in the NBA championships. In golf, look out, PGA. The LIV International Series is here, and it has drawn some attention from some of the top golfers on the PGA Tour. The eight-event series held... It's first event this weekend in London at the Centurion Club. The event was won by Charles Schwarzel. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Schwarzel, a former master champion, won the largest purse in professional golf, winning a top prize of $4 million for the event. He also gets a share of $3 million given to his team, Stingers GC, for winning the team title. Now, the other members of Stingers GC are Brandon Grace, Louise Oosterhuizen, I, oh, I hope I pronounced that one right, and Henny Duplis, who himself finished second in the event. Now, LIV is not an acronym. It is the Roman numeral for 54. 54 is the number of strokes it would be if a golfer birdied every hole on a standard par 72. It is also the number of holes in a standard LIV tournament of three rounds, 18 holes per round, hence 54. In short, Live Golf is a rival league to the PGA Tour. All tournaments, as I said, are 54 holes and limited to only 48 players that are divided into 12 four-man teams. Prize purses are $25 million, $20 million will be individual purses, and the remaining five million will be divided up amongst the best teams. Now, Live is bankrolled by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. The SAPIF is essentially part of the Saudi government. Now, this link to the Saudi government is what got Phil Mickelson in hot water with comments he made a few months ago. When I asked for the makeup of the players involved, they were mostly European or South African, and older players like Mickelson, Martin K. Meyer, Lee we and Lee Westwood. But they've secured top players like Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau, and are reportedly after others such as Ricky Fowler and Patrick Reed. In fact, 18 of the top 100 golfers, according to the official world golf rankings, are already in an LIV field. PGA player must obtain a waiver to do so, however, and every waiver that was filed by PGA players for the first event in London was denied by the PGA commissioner. Now, I expect this to continue, and the PGA seems unwilling to allow top players or any excuse me, PGA player from participating in live events. Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour Commissioner, announced earlier this week suspensions of 17 golfers who have already signed up to play in live golf. One of the main points that Monahan made to Jim Nance on Sunday during a visit at the Canadian Open was the fact that this is a what they refer to as sports washing or trying to legitimize a country through sports. 
Uh, he also noted that players like Mickelson, Justin, D Dustin Johnson, and DeChambeau, and Patrick Reed, and others have already received allegedly $500 million to play for Liv for the next few years. Now, individual contracts have not been released or known at this time. Now, for the major organizations which control world rankings, such as the PGA of America, USGA, RA, and Augusta National, have not hinted at any punitive action uh, against golfers that participate in LIV or LIVE or 54, whichever way you want to call it. Uh, matter of fact, the USGA has already stated they will allow LIVE players into the US Open field next week. Now, the USGA did issue this statement. Uh, we pride ourselves in being the most open uh, championship in the world, and the players who have earned the right to compete in this year's championship, both via exemption and qualifying, will have the opportunity to do so. The statement goes on to say that our field of criteria was set prior to entries opening uh, earlier this year, and it's not appropriate nor fair to competitors to change criteria once established. They further explain that should a player who has earned his way, or should a player who has earned his way into the 2022 Open via our published field criteria be pulled out of this field as a result of his decision to play in another event? We ultimately decided that they should not. Now, however, they did offer this disclaimer. Our decision regarding our field for the 2022 U.S. Open should not be construed as the USGA supporting an alternative organizing entity nor supportive of any player actions or comments. Rather, it is to a response to whether or not the USGA views playing in an alternative event without the consent of their home tour an offense that should disqualify them for the Open. So that is the official statement from uh, USGA. Uh, now, other dates to be aware of for the Live Series are Portland, Oregon, July, June 30th through July 2nd, Bedminster, New Jersey, July 29th and through the 31st, Boston, Massachusetts, September 2nd through the 4th, Chicago, Illinois, September 16th through the 18th, Bangkok, Thailand, October 7th through 9th. Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, October 14th through the 16th, and Miami, Florida, October 27th through the 30th. Now, going back to the uh, major organizations that control the uh, official or world golf rankings, um, the, uh, LIV has applied to be recognized by these organizations and have their tournaments be listed in the official uh, world golf rankings. They've also applied uh, to the Asian Tour, which Live Golf has also invested some some money in so far, but uh, there's no word yet on to whether or not the uh, OGWR or O excuse me OWGR uh, will uh, grant the Live Golf uh, events points. Now, if they do, and the money stays lucrative, the PGA Tour could be forced to accept Live Golf or face losing more top players. Uh, now, the PGA does have some support from sponsors like Rocket Mortgage, Royal Bank of Canada, and Workday, who have dropped scholarships from players who are, have, or will participate in Live Golf. In horse racing, the Belmont Stakes ran Saturday, and the lineup was stacked. Derby winner Rich Strike went off at 7-2 odds. Wood Memorial winner Mo Donegal went off at 5-2 odds. Peter Pan Stakes winner, We the People, was the favorite at 2-1. to one. Third place Preakness finisher, Creative Minister, was 6-1. to one. Fourth place finisher in the Preakness Nest was 8-1, to one, and she was the only filly in the field. With a field like this, it should have been a good race, and it was. Uh, the People, We the People, uh, was the favorite. <coughs> Excuse me. Many experts were picking We the People as the favorite. Uh, creative Minister is the long shot. And the Superfecta was thought to be uh, We the People, Rich Strike, Mo Don Donegal, and Creative Minister. Uh, they didn't check with the horses on that, because uh, after the dust settled, Mo Donegal crossed the wire first with the lone filling nest in second place. Now, these two horses ran like second and third to 
almost three quarters of the race as uh, We the People and uh, Creative Minister um, uh, had the early lead in, in the race. Uh, Rich Strike, the Derby winner, uh, started out in the back of the field at, at the start of the gate and never could catch up. Uh, some interesting things about the the the, the uh, Mo Don, the first and second place finishers, Mo Donegal and uh, and Nest. Uh, uh, they are stable mates and owned by the same, well, partially owned, I guess, uh, by the same uh, owner. Uh, Mike Repole is the majority owner of Mo Donegal, and he's the sole owner of Nest. Uh, also, uh, it was a pair of brothers that finished one two, as the Ortiz brothers, Irod Ortiz was the jockey in Mo Donegal, and Jose Ortiz was the jockey on Nest. And if you still want any more connections, both Mo Donegal and Nest were both products of Ashview Farms and Colt Neck Stables. Uh, Mo Donegal paid $750 to win, and Nest paid $530 to place. The uh, finishing out the Superfecta was uh, Skippy Longstocking, and We the People came in third, and We the People was fourth. Having two horses in a race like uh, Mike Re uh, Repole did, uh, that's almost like having backup protection. You know, kind of like having insurance. Well, everyone knows it's important to stay protected. And when life throws you and not expect the curve, you need Allstate. Sean Wiley and the Wiley Group have two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and so much more. They offer a customized approach that is unique to your situation to make sure you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also offer great savings as well. So give Sean and his team a call today, 636-764-6294. They'll help you with an insurance quote right over the phone. Hey, d got to go in. Just right over the phone. Even give them a call if you want to talk sports because, hey, you know, they do that too. We all have busy lives. So you can also email Sean at SeanWiley at Allstate.com and talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. All right, let's finish this up talking about the St. Louis Cardinals. I told you I'd circle back to them, and here we are. The first place St. Louis Cardinals. Going into the weekend, the Redbirds were a half game in front of the Milwaukee Brewers, seven and a half from Pittsburgh, nine ahead of the Cubs, and ten and a half ahead, or excuse me, and 12 and a half over the Reds. This despite star slugger Noling Arenado having a horrible May, uh, April player of the month with a slash of 375, 444, 681, five home runs, 17 RBIs, and 81 plate appearances seemed to fall off the edge. In May. I mean, he you talk about a fall. My God, it was a 12-story building. In May, he ended up slashing 196, 270, 377. Now, he did have four home runs and 14 RBIs in 115 trips to the dish. Now, so far in June, seems like he's back on track as NATO is cranking out 326, 396, 488 with two home runs, nine RBIs, and 48 plate appearances. Tyler O'Neill had a rough start at the beginning of the year. I mean, for the first two months, that boy was under the Mendoza line for the most part. Uh, he did manage uh, hit to hit 200 in May, but because he hit 188 in April, he didn't quite make it. Uh, he was sent down after some shoulder impingement uh, on June 3rd, uh, and he was back in uniform by June 7th. Uh, he was placed on the 10-day DL May 20th, uh, and so he was been out for almost, well, about three weeks. And uh, in three games at Memphis, he was 5 for 13, which is 385, 429, 692 with a home run on an RBI. And so far since his return, he's hitting 333, 346, 500, one home run, six RBIs. But if you want to talk hot hitters, and I mean in fuego, nobody on this team is hotter than Paul Goldschmidt. 
He has been Mr. Everything at the plate, stroking 327, 411, 577, 12 home runs, 47 RBIs. He had a 25-game hitting streak from May 7th to June 3rd and a 50-game on-base streak. During the streak, he hit 424, or the hitting streak, 424, 482, 869 slugging with 10 home runs, 36 RBIs. During the on-base streak, he hit 356, 434, 693 with 12 hormones, 46 RBIs. Tommy Edmond has acted like the leadoff hitter they were all hoping for with a 283, 58, 418. He's 15 for 16 in stolen bases. 17 of his 65 base hits are for extra bases, 8 doubles, 3 triples, and 6 home runs. And this is despite shifting his defensive position back and forth between second base and shortstop. Harrison Bader is another player who's been a pleasant surprise in a way, hitting a respectable 260, 304, 370 with a strikeout rate of only 16.4%. He's also hitting more line drives, less ground balls, and less fly balls. He's hitting to all fields and, more importantly, is one stolen base away from tying his previous season high of 15 back in 2018. And he is, like Tommy Emmons, has only been caught one time. Now, the only truly disappointing down note has been Paul DeYoung, who, after 24 games, was sent to Memphis on May 9th. He was struggling, drowning, really, if you want the honest opinion. Uh, 130, 209, 208, one home run, seven RBIs, and a 29.1 strikeout rate in his first two months. His highest strikeout rate ever as a Cardinal. And since being sent down, though, he seems to be coming around. Uh, Now, whether that's he's found the groove or it's just because it's AAA pitching, who knows? But he's hitting 245, 296, 545, nine home runs, 29 RBIs. Of course, now, the only question is, is can he bring this resurgence, whatever's causing it, back to the big club? Or will he have a place when he comes back to the big club? I mentioned earlier about Tommy Edmond moving to shortstop. I'll get to that shortly here. Uh, another disappointment has been Corey Dickerson, the five million dollar one year, the one year five million dollar player to be the fourth outfielder, left-handed DH. Uh, pretty much has been a bust. I mean, it has been an exercise in futility. He's hitting 194, 245, 286, two runs, 11 RBIs, and he is right now on the 10-day disabled list with a strained calf. And thank God for small favors because it has allowed some kids to come up and play, and they're making the most of it. And with O'Neill finding his stride, I don't know if Corey Dickerson is going to have a spot left on this team when he gets back. Edmundo Sosa, another one who's really dropped off from last year when he was filling in for Paul DeYoung. He hit 271, 346, and 389. Right now, he's mired in quicksand and slowly sinking. Barely hitting the Mendoza line at 200, 247, 250 for on base and slugging. And he, like Dickerson, could find himself in the eye as an odd man out by the time he gets back. Or by the time it all shakes out, I should say. Excuse me. Uh, Now, this next one I will call disappointing, but with reluctance, and that's Albert Pujols. Uh, He was signed to be the right-handed DH, fill in first base, and, of course, to retire as a Cardinal. Uh, Basically, put butts in the seats. Uh, And it has been well documented that El Hombre's once-hitting prowess uh, was now showing a weak spot, right-handed pitching. Now, last year, between the Angels and the Dodgers, Pujols slashed a dismal 180, 233, 266 against right-handers, but a robust 294, 336, 603 versus left-handers. Now, so far this season, uh, each one's gone a different way. Uh, against right-handers, it's gone down. 131, 284, 246 against righties, but he's Bashing left-handers, 351, 381, 595 against the Southpaws. Now, so far, Marmol has used him a lot versus right-handed pitching, which uh, sometimes gets to be a little confusing. Um, but you know, considering that maybe it could be the ballpark, it could be a matchup, uh, no certain reason why, or maybe it's just as long as we're winning, we can go with a... Uh, Pujols' farewell tour, if you will. I don't know. Uh, But uh, uh, maybe down the road, I think you'll see uh, some type of a platoon going um, with uh, 
uh, Albert. Uh, just not sure who that's going to be as we go. Now, while most of this news is fairly positive, uh, but not what some people would call championship caliber. Oh, but just like the 3 a.m. infomercial, wait, there is more. The recent infusion of kids from the from the farm have had some very nice results. First is Juan Yepes, who was added to the playoff roster roster last year, uh, had an absolute monster of an Arizona Fall League. Uh, not really a good spring. Uh, some think he might have been pushing uh, hard because given the shortened spring that we had, um, may have put a little more pressure on himself. But since he's been called up at a big club uh, on May 4th, he has done nothing but impress everyone. A solid 280-341-458 slash with five big flies, as Ricky Horton calls them, and 13 RBIs. Now, his weak spot is the opposite of Albert in that Yepes has trouble hitting left-handers, only hitting 182-296-227 against him. But he is averaging 302-352-510 against the right-handers. He's played first base, left field, right field, and DH. Now, you know, this would seem like an obvious platoon uh, with Pujols, as Pujols hits lefties and Yepes hits righties, uh, but they're both right-handed hitters. So, (laughs) you, you go figure that one, right? Uh, but I hear you. What about the left-handed bench bat? Come on, Don. Where's that left-handed bench bat? Where's the left-hand DH? Ha, you want a left-hand bat? Well, I got two for you, people. Brendan Donovan was brought up on April 25th when the Cardinals sent Lars Newtbar down to Memphis. And since that time, all this kid has done is rake. 295, 415, 402. And now he hasn't shown home, much home run power, only one home run. But 33 uh, of his 33 hits, nine are doubles. He's had 15 RBIs in 106 at-bats, and he's been the Swiss Army knife uh, of the team since coming up, playing a variety of positions, all four infield positions, left field and right field. He even gave had a couple games to the DH spot. Now, when Tyler O'Neill went down to the I.L., Nolan Gorman's contract was purchased from Memphis along with Matthew Libertor. And we'll get to Matthew in a minute. Gorman has made his presence known with just 20 games covering 63 at-bats. Gorman is putting up a good numbers of 270, 352, 460, three home runs. All his home runs are well over the 400-foot mark, or at least over the 400-foot mark, and he has 10 RBIs. Now, Gorman is part of the reason Tommy Evans is playing more at shortstop than at second base. Now, Gorman originally drafted as a third baseman, made the move to second base after the Cardinals acquired Nolan Arenado last year. So... If Yepes, Donovan, and Gorman continue putting up the numbers, and it's quite likely they will, Corey Dickerson and Edmundo Soso, Sosa may be looking for new homes, and Paul DeYoung may never get out of AAA, at least with the Cardinals. Now, as for pitching, Cardinals broke camp with what they felt, and it felt like 2021 all over again. Started the season with Flair, uh, Jack Flaherty and, and uh, Alex Reyes never pitching an inning in the spring. Mats looked shaky. Michaels, I thought, would be fine, and he has done quite well. But just like 218, a couple of rough start, 2018, a couple of rough starts followed by some really good pitching. Currently, he and Wainwright are the leaders of the rotation, both with sub-3 ERAs and have thrown over 70-plus innings in 12 games each. Dakota Hudson has also looked good at times, sporting a 329 to go with a 1.25 whip, and he's thrown about 60-plus, 65-plus innings. So those three have formed to make a pretty good uh, start. Matt, who I thought would be a big help for the rotation, has been, well, hot and cold. He's 3-3 three and three with a 6.03 ERA. Now, that's mostly due to a couple of bad outings. Uh, in his first outing, he gave up seven earned runs in three innings, and then uh, he had an outing later in May uh, where he gave up eight earned runs in two innings. But he has also gone six-plus innings on three occasions and five innings plus five times. Right now he's on the I.L. with shoulder issues. So if isn't this starting to sound like a broken record, people, you're not imagining it. This is what it is. The preseason injuries to Reyes and Flaherty exposed the lack of depth. And you would have thought that after last year, uh, Mosellock in the front office would have got, you know, had a backup plan. Well, obviously they didn't, because uh, their idea was to take Jordan Hicks and stretch him out as a starter at the major league level. Um, 
Not sure who thought this was a good idea. Uh, I can't believe Mike Maddox thought it was a good idea. I can't believe Marvel thought it was a good idea. Um, so my money is on that um, Mosaic wanted this to happen and he's forcing the issue and it's not working. Um, he had nine games as a starter. Jordan Hicks has only made it through the fifth inning one time. Most of his starts only going three, four innings max. And this is just not going to cut it. Hicks should have started the season in Memphis. If they wanted to go stretch him out and give him the best start, best spot, uh, or best shot, excuse me, at starting, that's where it should have been. It should have been stretching him out of Memphis, then bring him up, say, around this time now, uh, after he'd been stretched. And he can't, he, he's not getting stretched. He's, they're having to take him out of games, otherwise they're going to get blown out. Um, and so right now he's on the I.L. with a forearm issue. And now remember, we are talking also about a player who did not pitch in 2020 and only appeared in 10 games last year, logging only 10 innings. And you think he could be stretched out over a major league season. Again, I'm not sure who in the hell thought it was a good idea. It wasn't, isn't, can't be. Um, I think the best thing they can do for the young man, once he comes off the I.L., just send him down to Memphis for the rest of the year to learn to be a starter. Then try and make him a starter next year. Uh, that'd be my guess. Uh, now, when you look at the rest of the pitching staff and, and who's been filling in uh, in that two sp two spots there, uh, or well, actually one spot and now two with with the uh, uh, mats on the on the IL. Uh, They've been using Packy Naughton and a few others. And I'm going to tell you what, Packy Naughton needs to be in the bullpen and nowhere near the rotation. Out of the pen, he's very good. Six innings, five hits, no runs, ten strikeouts, one walk. Um, as a starter, he's a disaster. Uh, he, he can't get past three innings. Um, and it's just not a conducive time break. He can go one or two. He can go an inning, inning and two-thirds, two innings. But you get him past that second into that third inning, and he just cannot make it happen. Um, but now there have been a couple of bright spots in the pen. Most notably, Ryan Helsley, who in 19 games covering 23-plus innings has a, point, a 0 0.39 ERA. That's right. You heard me. 0 0.39 ERA. A, five, a .514 whip and a FIP of 1.17 and all this by posting 38 strikeouts and six walks and oh yeah he's got four saves genesis cabrera is another one who's pitched well out of the pen three and one with eight holds a 2.03 era in 21 games spanning 26 innings including a four inning stint against the chicago cubs on june 5th allowing only two hits one earned run one walk five k's Giovanni Gallegos has been pissed well out of the bullpen, but he has blown three saves. All in all, though, he, Helsley, and Cabrera make a strong back into the pen. The issue is with middle relief, where uh, T.J. McFarlane was brought back, and quite frankly, uh, people are wondering why. He's not the same pitcher we saw last year. He's getting rocked about every time out. Cody Whitley has had some struggles. Drew Verhagen looked good early, had his struggles now as well. The same for Nit Whitgren. Uh, Whitgren, who is the most used man out of the bullpen in 25 appearances. Ah, but here again, the cavalry has arrived in the form of one Andre Palante. Uh, 17 games out of the pen, going multiple innings on a number of occasions, including two appearances of three innings back-to-back, -back before getting two starts after Hicks was put on the IL. Uh, He's gone, in those two starts, he's gone nine and a third innings, giving up one run on eight hits. Uh, I think the best thing they should do is keep Palante in rotation. Uh, you've got to have it, and that's regardless whether Flaherty comes back or not, keep Palante in the rotation um, and, and stretch Hicks out in the minors, work him out properly in the minors. Uh, now, Matthew Libertor uh, has came up, pitched a couple of good games. Um, I think he's back down uh, in uh, Memphis now, but uh, I think he's one that really needs to take. They really need to give him the serious look, uh, especially Flaherty, who's right now on rehab assignment. Uh, 
Uh, I think if Flaherty has a setback or if he comes up and proves to be ineffective, I think they really need to just bring Libertor up, put him and Palante at the back end of that rotation, and go for broke with it. Um, one pitcher also that could be used in that starter, middle relief, long relief, and I think they really need to do that, although he's back down in Memphis himself uh, as a starter, is Jake Woodford. Uh, in the nine appearances this year, covering 18 innings, he's a 3.32 ERA um, and has pitched multiple innings in five different appearances. That's why I say he could be a good uh, middle relief. He could be a long a long relief. He could be a spot starter. Uh, but right now you're trying to go with uh, Wainwright, Michaelis, and Hudson, and then two bullpen games, basically is what, this, what is essentially it is when you're throwing... Um, uh, Packy Naughton and guys like that. Um, no, I mean, uh, get use somebody like a Libertor, like a Woodford, uh, until you can get Flaherty back, uh, and then see where you go from there. And I also think the front office. I do think the front office is that once a championship for the final year of Albert Yadi and Wayno, but they're going to have to make a move at the trade deadline. Now, whether it's for the rotation or the pin pitching is going to have to be that main focus. And whether we trust the kids like Libertor, Woodford, or Palante, or make a deal for proven arms, this year the Cardinals cannot sit on their hands or just simply apply Band-Aids like they did with LeBlanc and Lester uh, last year. Uh, they need to give serious thought as to what they're going to need and need to go for it. Well, okay, folks, that's going to do it for me today. I, the t clock on the wall says it's time for me to get back to the house. So, like I said earlier, I will be attempting to reschedule the Deion Thomas thing because I, I really want to get him on. I've, I've heard him on interviews, and he's fantastic. Uh, he'll be a great interview for uh, uh, Illinois basketball. Uh, I'm also going to try and find somebody for Illinois football uh, and uh, looking to try to get a show scheduled uh, about the Cardinals minor league system as well. So if you want to comment or add suggestions for the show, go to talkingsports-otb-gcs.onpodium.com. That's the show's website. Or hit me up uh, on the show Twitter line at, at capital T-S-O, capital T-S-O-T-B, capital G-C-S. Or you can reach me personally at big, capital D, underscore G-C-S. Well, so long. Until the next time, folks, when we talk sports on the bleachers. Thanks again for joining us, and you have been listening to Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Here's hoping you have a great sports day.